amen. Good morning. Well, it is good to see you here. Can I just lay that there? Would that be all right? Man, there's a hole. If you can't see it, there's a hole right there, and I feel like I'm a million miles away from you, so I, I, I can't get much closer. I was going to stand on the floor, but I'm afraid the lighting would be bad, so is this okay? Do I, I feel like a lecturer rather than a uh, pastor up here, but we'll give it a shot anyway. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, guys, for leading worship. And uh, Scott, where'd you go? Scott and Megan, man, thanks for sharing. Uh, sure, we'll be praying for y'all, excited about what y'all are doing. Don't ever worry about cutting into my time. <laughs> I never let anybody cut into my time. We just go till I get through. But anyway, thanks for that concern about that. Uh, but it is good to be here with you today, and I'm excited that, uh, uh, that I get the, a chance to share with you. I'm always appreciative of John Hugh giving me that opportunity. One thing I love about John Hugh is his passion. You know, one thing you don't have to worry about is, he, is he's... He's never going to just be uh, idle, and uh, he's one of those guys that wiggles his toes in his sleep, you know what I'm saying? And uh, it's kind of like the RPMs are always real high, and I like that about him. I like his focus. Every time I've preached here, he's assigned me my topic. Uh, here's what you're going to preach on, all right? Great, and that's great. It's a little, it's unique for me because it makes me, you know, work a little bit harder because I, you know, there's things inside of me, but uh, I am excited about what we're going to talk about today, and, and, and I appreciate that about him. I appreciate his focus, his drive, the fact that he wants to lead this church to a certain place. Uh, it makes me love him. I work with pastors all over the country, and he's one of my favorite to get with on a monthly basis as we pray together and talk and share, so uh, I'm very, very glad to be here, and I'm excited about bellwether man i just keep seeing things as i've watched you guys over the years what an exciting thing to see i i watched churches languish for years to get to where you guys got to in two or three i watched churches 20 years after being planted still not where you guys are so it is a blessing to watch it and it's been a blessing to watch some of my children get involved here and y'all include them so thank you very much for that did my wife make it yet And all the people said no. Um, well, I was about to say she's my biggest fan, but apparently it's a fair weather fan, and uh, she's managing a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. So uh, I have to give her credit for that. She'll she'll be here shortly, I'm sure, unless something's wrong with the car. Now I'm going to be worried about that. We're going to be talking today. If you have your Bibles or your iPad or your phone or whatever you're using, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter two. That's going to be our launch point. And uh, John Hughes asked me to talk about how to prepare to move into our new building. Now, I've had the privilege as a pastor uh, to move churches, to build buildings. Uh, probably one of the most daunting was when we built a 2,600-seat auditorium in Indiana. And the whole dynamic, when you've got a bunch of Baptists trying to decide what color things need to be, you have flat got a challenge on your hands. And so uh, just kind of talking about what, is, what does it mean for us as we go into this season of our life, when we go from tabernacle to temple, when we go from temporary to something a little more permanent, nothing's permanent, but certainly more permanent, what does that transition look like? In my first church, which was a church plant, I think the biggest mistake I made was not moving us into a facility uh, that was more permanent. And so I'm glad y'all are making that move. It was a conversation John Hugh and I had had about three years ago. And he asked me, he'll ask me this oftentimes, uh, he says, Dan, I, I don't want to pay your stupid tax. 
uh, whatever you've done stupid, tell me now so I don't do it myself. And so that's kind of some of the things I've been sharing with him. And so I've appreciated he and the leaders that are around him and the men and women that are giving counsel to him. I appreciate how God has formulated all this into a, a great journey together. But what are some things that we can do in preparation for that? You heard about the the uh, uh, very wealthy man who had a debutante and she had reached that age where he was getting worried that she might not meet someone. So he had a big party at his house and invited all the eligible, uh, acceptable bachelors to come to his house and to meet her in and, and this uh, debut time. And, and he got up and he, he got everyone's attention and there was probably 50, 60 young men there. And he said, you know, I, I want you to know I love my daughter. She's a, I believe she's a beautiful young woman inside and out. Uh, but I want you to know that, that whoever gets her, whoever has, who's found to be worthy to get her, will, will also receive a million-dollar dowry and a job with my company for the rest of his life to be able to take care of her as well. The real trick is going to be, I want to see how much courage is really in this backyard. Anyone can go for money, but does someone believe my daughter's worth jumping in that swimming pool and swimming, at a, swimming across it, which happens to be full of alligators? About that time, there was a splash. Everybody turned around, and there was a guy just, just going just as fast as he could, and he was kicking off gators, and people were cheering him on. And he gets all the way across and just pulls himself up out of the last snap of the jaws as he pulls his legs up. The man runs over. He says, I can't believe someone actually would do that. This is amazing. You, you, I can't, I, I, I'm going to double the dowry and make you an executive vice president. He said, man, I don't care about any of that. I want to know who pushed me in the water. Well, Sometimes we can feel like that. Sometimes we feel like we were pushed into something and we get, oh man, that was great. Well, you know what? Here's what I want us to do. I don't want us to be pushed into what God's doing. I want us to run after it because that's what's in our heart. It's what we want to do. So here in Ephesians chapter 2, go down to verse 19. Now Ephesians is my favorite epistle and uh, so it's hard for me not to start in verse 1 and end in chapter 6. But here in verse 19... It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, here's the catch. Next two verses. In him, the whole building. Everybody say building. Now, that was three of us. Everybody say building. Very good. In him, the whole building, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about building. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, being Christ, you too are being built. Everybody say built. That was a little better. Are being built together to become, what does the NIV say? Who has the NIV? What are we becoming? A dwelling, what does the NAS say? What are some other translations? Do they, most of them say dwelling? What does King Jimmy say? <laughs> no, Lord, I had not had one of those in 30 years. Anybody have King James? Anybody have uh, the hearing impaired or amplified, as some might call it? All right, so this dwelling, he's put us together that, he might, that we might become a dwelling, watch this, in which God lives by his Spirit. God is putting together a building. He has brought us together for a purpose. And what's that purpose? That he could hang out inside of us, with us, corporately together. Did you know that God wants to find a hanging place right here in the middle of this auditorium? 
He wants to hang out with us on Wednesday nights when we're down at our Bible. He wants to hang out with us in our B group. He wants to hang out with us. He is looking for a place. This is what it says, that he may dwell by his spirit. God's looking for a place to hang out. Now, in the Old Testament, if we look at this, this verse is preceded by this incredible journey where we start in chapter 1 and and who we are in Christ and all these blessings we receive in Christ. He gets down here at the end of chapter 2 and going into chapter 3, and he begins to talk about the church, that these blessings are realized within the body of Christ. And right before this verse, he talks about the fact that in Christ, all these walls of distinction are broken down, Jew and Gentile, male and female rich and poor, educated and uneducated, we're all one in Christ. And then Paul makes this incredible statement, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now as we look at this exciting time for Bellwether to move into our new facility, John Hughes asked me to share lessons that I've learned from my own experiences. So what I want to do is provide a structure for us today in which we're going to celebrate God's provision and affirmation for Bellwether as we move into our new building while concurrently ensuring that we don't lose focus for what's really going on, for what really matters. So let's look first at God's dwelling. Now in the Old Testament, God hung out in a temple, right? We, we see that. The temple, first the tabernacle, and then the temple. There was this physical location. But in the New Testament, the Bible makes it very clear that the building is his people. See that here in Ephesians 2. You see it in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, when he talks about you are his field, you are his building, we are his temple. In 1 Peter 2, many of you know this verse. Uh, verses 4 or 5 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, being Christ. So Jesus is chosen by God, rejected by men, but precious. You also, like living stones. Everybody say, living stones. All right, a little bit better. Living stones. God is building a house, and how is he doing it? He's doing it with you and me. We are the living stones. We are the, when God puts things together, he takes a life and he puts it here, and he takes another life and he puts it there, and he takes another life. And you see that, that the reason the enemy doesn't like us getting along is because every time we get upset, it's like knocking a wall down. All right, so God's building living stones. And being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So God is building a house, but it's, a, it's not just a physical house. We are moving into a physical house, but he's trying to build a spiritual house made of living stones, that being us, in which he can hang out. Let's not forget that his primary goal is to build a people for his dwelling, for his purpose. Now, I've done over 200 weddings. My wife and I have been married 26 years, and I just was with my parents who celebrated 63. I think they're going to make it, um, trying to help them through any last things they may encounter. And uh, it was just a blessing to be with them at, uh, at uh, where did we go? Was there a play, uh, one of their, Olive Garden. We were at Olive Garden. And uh, just sitting with them, mom's 83, dad's 82, and uh, just to hear their stories. And, and so I've, I've been fortunate, I've been blessed to see a, 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 a couple who've loved each other, still like each other. Uh, Mom is in the, some throes of dementia and, and kind of fades in and out sometimes or repeats the same conversation several times. And watching dad just affirm her and we just keep answering the same question again and again. And every once in a while she'll stop and go, have we already talked about this? Yes, we have. She goes, well, I just want to make sure you get it. And I said, all right, good. Thank you, Mom. And so I watched this great, this great couple. And so as I've, as I've been a pastor, I've, I've done over 200 weddings, and I do pretty extensive pre-marriage counseling. 
In fact, I will not perform your wedding if I don't have at least eight sessions with you, sometimes up to 12, depending on how complicated you really are. And, uh, and I'll have people say, well, you can't tell me what. I said, look, I, I don't have to do your wedding, but if I am, I'm not going to stand up there and marry people I don't know and haven't given enough tools to think that they might can make it. And I try to tell every couple, look, I can't get you ready for marriage. There is no way to explain it until you're there. All I can do is give you tools that when you look at each other and go, really? You can reach back and you'll have a tool on how to deal with it because it's just a whole new world, right? I mean, how many of you walked in and it was exactly what you thought? Anybody? Very few. Uh, the ones who just got married last week, oh, it's wonderful, Dan. It's just wonderful. It's great. Okay, call me in a year. And I'm not being cynical. I'm just saying it's life, Right? My wife and I, 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 when we got married, we lived in the same apartment complex. I literally was about, about 40 feet from her. We lived in what was called the quadrangle. And so I was here with my roommates, and she was there with hers. And, and uh, we would get up in the mornings and go walk early, about 6 in the morning. Then I had 8 o'clock classes, and I'd be in class all day. And then I worked every afternoon and wouldn't get off work till about 11. And so I'd go to her apartment at 1130, and she and her roommate would have fixed me dinner, and we watched David Letterman. That tells you how far back it was. That was back when he was relevant. And, uh, and so we'd eat spaghetti and watch David Letterman and all his stupid human tricks and jumping on a wall with Velcro and all that. Some of y'all remember that. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? YouTube it. And, uh, and so we would st- I'd stay there until about midnight, and I'd go back to my apartment for six hours, and I'd go back the next morning. We'd go for our walk, and we'd start all over, and we did that for months. And I, I like the Beach Boys song, wouldn't it be nice if we could wake? And I thought, oh, man, when we get married, this thing's just going to be awesome. I mean, what's six hours? Well, about three months into it, I was missing my six hours. You know what I'm saying? That was, I thought, man, I was kind of used to having a little bit of space. And uh, all of a sudden, I thought, wow, I've got to make some adjustments. I didn't realize how selfish I was. I didn't realize how much I liked things my way. And so as I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, trying to get people ready, it's so funny to me because... I will watch couples spend more time getting ready for their wedding than they do their marriage. They'll spend more money getting ready for the wedding than they do getting ready for the marriage. And so I always throw that out to them. I say, hey, look, how much time are you spending on the wedding? Oh, pastor, whoo, hours. I go, great. Then I need more time than that to get ready for the marriage. Well, I think that happens in church a lot of times. We spend a whole lot of time getting ready for the stuff that's going to be over rather than really spending time on the stuff that's going to last forever. And I want you to think about that analogy with me. My daughter and son-in-law are here, and, and she asked me when I married him, I said, you know, I don't marry without counseling. She said, Dad, I want you to do it. And she said, don't cut back. She goes, just because I'm your daughter, I want the whole deal. About three, three sessions in, she goes, Dad, you can throttle back if you want to, just a little bit. It's okay. We get it. So I, I, but I appreciate that. It will give, give it all to us. Well, I want to talk to you about how to make sure that we're ready. Now, there's three things that I want to talk about. The first thing is I want to talk about some blessings, and let's hit those real quick. What are some blessings about moving into our new facility? Here's some things that we can celebrate. Number one, I do believe it communicates stability. Uh, when I was pastoring here in Jackson back in the 80s and 90s, we rented a house for a long time. We just couldn't afford anything. We were just, just hand to mouth and paycheck to paycheck. But I remember when we finally bought a house. And after church one Sunday, I mean, we, were, we had three or 400 people in worship. I had a lady come up to me and she said, oh, I'm so glad to know that you're going to stay. I've been here seven years. What do you mean you're glad? I'm going to say, well, I thought you were renting in case you had to get out quick. 
She said, now that I know you bought, I know you're here to stay. Well, you know what? I think the community looks at us and says, man, they are really here to stay. And so I believe that one of the blessings of having our new facility is that it communicates to to our community and it communicates to people that we are touching, that we really are here and that we are, are, are here to minister to you. Number two, it does reflect personality. It not only uh, is a blessing because it communicates stability to the community, but it reflects our personality. Now, listen to me real carefully because this is going to get sticky. This is not so much about what color is the paint. This is more about the cleanliness or the way we take responsibility for the facility. Teddy Roosevelt when uh, was the first one to move into the present-day presidential um, mansion as we know it today or the White House. And he decorated, if you know anything about Teddy Roosevelt, he decorated it to his flavor which meant there was burlap, uh, uh, wallpaper all the way around, and dead animals in every, house, in every room of the house. And so he had antelope and bison and, and cougars and all kinds of, of stuff, taxidermied animals all over the, the White House. And in the ballroom where he was hosting things, he noticed that there were two lion's heads that he had killed, but he had those taken down because those represented England so he could put up two bison heads. Now, some of you women are already appalled. You can imagine you got to love his wife for just hanging in there with him. Here's what he said. Anyone that doesn't like this decoration is a yahoo. But his conclusion was if you didn't like the way he decorated it, you were a yahoo. Not that Teddy Roosevelt was ever short of opinion. But the point is this. Every one of us have a different taste, a different preference. And so I'm not talking about it reflects our personality in that, oh, I like this or I like that. My wife and I, as much as we love each other, uh, we just like different things. And the remote control, it's always who gets in there first. Whether we're going to watch, uh, whether we're going to watch HGTV and renovate that house and who's wearing what dress or whatever those shows are, to uh, really good stuff like, you know, astronomy and World War II and that kind of stuff, stuff that's really important that really helps you grow as a person. And so my son and I are always fighting with my wife and the daughters over which shows are we going to watch. Those are preferential. So what we're not talking about is, oh, what, what, is, what does the decorations look like? Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in reflecting ownership, it's that sense of this is ours. Uh, any Starbucks fans in here? No. All right. Well, there are people in the country who, who drink at a place called Starbucks. It's a coffee shop. There happens to be one close by here. And here's what's interesting about a Starbucks addict. If you go into a Starbucks and you watch someone fix their drink, they will most of the time wipe down the counter and throw away the napkin and keep the thing clean. You ever notice that? I travel all over the country and I go to Starbucks all over the place and there's these people that they think Starbucks is their kitchen. And it's wonderful because, in fact, if someone doesn't do that, everybody kind of looks at them like, what are you doing? You don't leave that stuff laying around on that counter like this. And I get tickled because I'll ask Starbucks, they go, I do that. I don't even think about doing that. I fix my coffee, I wipe down that counter, throw away my napkin and leave. I noticed that this morning. I was at Cups up in Madison, did the same thing. People just kind of clean up after themselves. Why? Well, it's it's not their coffee shop, but it is their coffee shop. This is ours. And so there's something really wonderful about having a place when we walk up, we are picking trash up off there. Not, well, why hadn't Mark had this place picked up? No, no, no. It's our, how do we straighten up? Hey, how can I help you with that? If the yard needs more, let's take care of it. If we need something in the nursery, hey, I'll help keep the nursery. What do we need to do to make sure we welcome people? So there's all kinds of ways that when you finally get a place, you say, you know what? This is ours together. 
Let's make this thing happen. The third blessing that I see is that a building, when you finally have it, you really get to cater it to serve the purpose for which you're built. That's the biggest issue. It doesn't matter what it requires for you to do with the building. Make sure it reflects your purpose. I had a friend of mine who was uh, reading a book about how to help your church grow. And he said, well, I can't do this. And I said, why not? He said, well, we're, our auditorium's already full. We don't have room for more people. And I said, so you're not going to try to reach more people because you don't have room? He said, well, yeah. I said, so your building is determining how many people you're going to reach. I said, why not go to two services? Oh, well, I don't know. That might be hard to do. He had forgotten why they existed. He thought they existed to have enough people in there to keep the bills paid so that we could get people back in there to raise money to pay the bills to get people back in there. Norman Schwarzkopf, when he, uh, first time he went to Vietnam as a lieutenant, he was flying in and he was asking the guy that, that was setting him in, his CO, he said, now explain to me what I'm doing. He said, well, you're going to be responsible for a platoon. He said, okay, good. What's that platoon do? He says, well, the platoon's responsibility is to guard the airfield next to it. He said, great. Well, what's the purpose of the airfield? He said, well, the purpose of the airfield is to supply the platoon. Now, let's just sink in for a second. We have a platoon stationed to protect an airfield that was built to supply the platoon that protects it so it will supply it to make sure it stays protected so that it can keep supplying it to protect it that sounds like a lot of sunday morning services to me look we don't exist to exist we exist to impact people to touch people who are unreached for the people as john hugh keeps saying that are on the outside our heart is to attract those who are not here so that they can hear about the grace and the love of God that's on them. So what are some of our pitfalls? Let's talk about uh, some of the pitfalls. Number one, we've already talked about, is allowing the structure to take priority over the purpose. Uh, let's not fight over anything about the building. Let's not fight over anything. Look, anytime there's a fight about the structure, it's not the structure that's the problem. It's going to be my heart. Second pitfall that we can fall into is, whoo, now we can finally let up because it's hard work getting everything set up out there and having everything, the praise team come along. And so we kind of have a, whew, we can let up. No, we can't let up. We can redirect. Don't let up. You redirect. You take that same energy and instead of using it to set up, we now use it to staff things and to work with our nursery and work with our children and work with our outreach and start doing things in our B groups to start doing more. more th- we want to take that same energy and use it for the purpose of God. Third one is to begin to see the building through my eyes rather than through our eyes. It's about me. It's about what I want. So how do we deal with that? Look at Luke chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. I can read it to you, but I do want you to write this in your notes. Luke chapter 10 is a great story. It's where Jesus has sent out the 12 and then he sent out the 70 and he's told him to go preach the gospel, to drive out demons, to heal the sick, and preach the, the grace of God. So they come back, and they are so excited. Here's what the scripture says. And they came back, and they said, the demons are subject to us. That was their big statement. The seat, I mean, that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it be to you? They could not believe that they could command a demon to do something and it would do it. That was just so anathema to their culture. And so they come back and they report this to Jesus, and here's what Jesus says. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, verse uh, 17, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They love that. They submit to us in your name. Verse 18, Luke 10, 18. 
And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, that's a big one right there. However, do not rejoice that the spirits are sub, uh, submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Guys, I know that's pretty incredible. I mean, this is like watching Poltergeist or, or whatever generation you came from. I can't watch those movies. They just, the commercials terrify me. But I grew up with uh, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and Poltergeist. The things they're coming out now with, I just, I, mean, I got to get saved after watching the commercial of them. I mean, they're terrifying. Can you imagine being one of those that goes, you know, come out and they come out, whoa. Yeah, don't mess with me. Honey, get me a cup of coffee. You know what I'm saying? Or did you just see what I did? Jesus goes, that ain't that impressive. Really? Because I, I thought it was pretty impressive myself. Nah. He said, let me tell you something. If you want to rejoice about something, it's not the demons are subject to you. Here's what you rejoice in. Your name is written in the book of life. Now, that's Jesus' way of saying... You're spending more time on the wedding than you are the marriage. That, that's the biblical phrase of keep the main thing the main thing. That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to reframe them. He's trying to help them understand the situation. Basically, what he's saying to them is, look, if you could see what I see, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Do you understand? I've seen him destroyed. It doesn't surprise me they're subject to you. I saw this happen. And so he's basically saying, guys, look, if you could see what I see, that wouldn't surprise you. You know God's still saying that to us today. If you could see what I see, there'd be things you wouldn't worry about. There'd be things that wouldn't surprise you. There'd be things you'd be more relaxed about. There'd be, more, there'd be things you'd be more committed to. If you just saw it from my perspective. It would really, look, he said, it's not so important. You wouldn't be so surprised at what you can do, but you would have a different set of values of what's really cool if you could see it from my perspective. And so one thing is that God wants to reframe our thinking. I, one of my daughters, I will leave them nameless, but I remember in one of their teenage moments, anybody ever had teen, teenage moments with your kids? You, know, you can't raise your hands, they're next to you, and they'll cry all the way home, you have to deal with it. So I get it, but here's the point. She looked at my wife, you'll appreciate, your moms will appreciate this, and said, you have no idea what it's like to be a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> now, I was sitting there, and I kind of just let it hang there for a minute, <laughs> like, and it never dawned on her. And finally, I had to connect the dots, honey. Um, she has. I mean, she's now 29 again. Now, think about that with me for a second. She, has been, she had to pass 15 somewhere. Well, anyway, that's not what I meant. Well, what, did you, what you meant was you want to have such a unique problem that no one can help you through it, and you don't. We have been there. We do understand, and the reason we're telling you that you can't stay out till 3 in the morning if we trusted you is that, well, honey, we don't trust you. So, and we don't trust any of your friends, and we don't trust culture, and we don't trust anything. So you're going to be home at 10 o'clock, and we're going to have time together and watch the news. Right? So here's the problem. A lot of us, God's saying that to us. Saying, we, we go, God, you just don't understand. He's like, um, I've been around a while, seen a lot. You probably can't present anything to me I hadn't dealt with before. I do understand. 
And so as a part of this whole thing, we want God to be able to help reframe us. We also want to make sure that we differentiate between accouterments and fruit. Things that are just kind of added on to life. Now, my wife and I have had a, we feel like in many ways, a charmed life. We've had very difficult seasons. We've been through some very challenging times. But it's always just always amazed us how much grace there's been around our life and how we kind of come through. And those dark seasons where you just don't know if you can get to the other side. And then you wake up and you look around and go, wow, we've come through that. And we've been very blessed by that. We've been very fortunate in many, many ways. And we believe God's blessed us. And there have been some things that have been really uh, exciting to us in that process. I mean, we've got a nice house. And we just last year for our 25th anniversary, we gave each other a convertible little BMW convertible that we drive around in and look richer than we are and kind of let people think that, ooh, that's a, yeah, that's, that's what you think it is. That's exactly what you think it is. And uh, we enjoy that. We appreciate that. We've also had the conversation even recently, hey, by the way, if next year isn't as good as this year, that's the first thing that goes. Okay, great, fine. We, we don't care. It's just an accruement. It's just a thing that's kind of attached on. It means nothing to us. It means nothing of value to what we really have, which is a great marriage. Now, let me tell you what I do like. I do love the fact that I've got kids that are a lot of fun to be around. I consider every one of my kids fun. I enjoy Now, they haven't always been. There have certainly been times where I did wonder where they came from and uh, wondered if I was experiencing poltergeist myself. I thought, Lord, really? But you know what? We look at our family, and here's what we differentiate. All the things. I watch families who use houses and cars and all that kind of stuff to, and vacations and image and more income as ways to cover up shallowness rather than to celebrate depth. And so all these things can go away as long as we have this. Well, the same is true of a church. We can get really caught up. We can have great instruments on the stage we can have wonderful seating people are comfortable we can have state-of-the-art coffee we can have everything perfect and yet if we've lost the substance does it really matter does it really matter i would rather be somewhere where there's substance if someone says hey do you know the hall house do you know the hall house oh yeah it's that brick house down there with the green shutters no 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 not not the hall not that hall house the hall house that when you're at their dinner table they laugh a lot and they enjoy each other and they include you in the pro- it's not the outside of the building that I want them to talk about if they talk about our house it's the inside that I want them to talk about and when we talk about bellwether I don't mind someone saying hey we meet at that white really good looking white building on the corner of north side and whatever that other road is across from Starbucks that's where I think you are and so that building isn't that great but let me tell you something bellwether that's where when you walk in the door they love to see you bellwether's the one that they don't judge you for seasons of your life that you're going through bellwether's the place that if you want to become the best that you could possibly be for God's that's that church see that's what i want them to say about us not the pretty church on the corner but the dynamic impacting church that you can't run into people without knowing that you're valued and that you're loved and so another way to put it like jesus did don't rejoice that but rather don't rejoice that you have a pretty building but that you have a place from which to fulfill god's purpose don't rejoice that you got a great deal because we did we got a great deal on this but rather that God has affirmed your generosity to touch the nations and has provided margin for you to keep doing that. See, I don't see the good deal as, oh, we got a great deal. I see that as God going, you've been faithful to touch the city and the world, and I'm going to create margin for you to keep doing that. 
Don't rejoice that we have a place that's in a great location. Rejoice that he's entrusted us with his purposes at all. So three things that I want us to do, and I'll give you three things I want you to jot down, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do as we get ready to close out today. How do we move into this next building with the best possible uh, uh, product that we can? Number one, keep growing before God. Romans 8, 28, uh, uh, God works all things together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Watch this, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. The good that he's talking about, all things work together for good, is not, oh, I lost a house and got a bigger one. Oh, I wrecked my BMW, I'm going to get a, you know, a 500 Mercedes. That's not the good. We translate that through the American mindset. Here's the good. Whatever happens in your life, God is using to transform you into the image of his son. Whatever's going on in your life is God working to form you and to frame you and to grow you. So whatever you do, make sure that you keep growing before God. He is using all things to deal with my heart. If something, and I want you to catch this, if something upsets me and steals my joy, there's a deeper problem than whatever that is. And that's what we, see, here's what happens. We are so circumstance oriented. You made me mad, therefore you need to change so that I'm not mad. No, wait a minute. Why am I so mad? Maybe there's something in me. Maybe there's entitlement in me. Maybe there's uh, selfishness in me. Maybe there's spiritual shallowness in me that I need to deal with. See what I'm saying? So the first question is, make sure you keep growing in God. Number two, guard your relationships with the Bellwether family at all costs. So far as it depends on you, Paul said in Romans, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. He said later on in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Just go meditate on Ephesians 4, 2 and 3. God, whatever it is, number one, I want to make sure that, God, you're dealing with my heart. You're growing me. If I'm hitting tension, if things are causing me to feel stressed, the first question isn't what's wrong with what's happening. The question is why am I being so stressed? God, what are you doing in me? How are you equipping me? How are you preparing me? How are you molding me? How are you purifying me? And then secondly, God, make sure that our relationship stays strong. And then number last, keep recommitting this building. As we get ready to move into it, keep recommitting the building to God's purposes of expanding his heart to others. The challenge is is that somewhere down the road, the building becomes more important than the purpose. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. We're so excited about the building, and we have church splits over carpet color, and we have church splits over pews or chairs, and we have church splits over stained glass or no stained glass. And I look at it and go, really? Does it matter? When we built our 2,600 seat, well, the architect said 2,600. I mean, brother, you know this situation. They, they, I'm telling you what, they were skinny people that he built for. I, their, my backside would not have fit in that 26-seat auditorium. I think it was more like 2,200. But I remember, I remember watching people. I, I remember a two- or three-hour meeting where they were trying to decide whether to put two or three fans in our cylinder above our foyer. I finally walked out and said, look. I don't have enough energy for this. I don't care. Put two, put three, put a, put a box fan up there. Put, I don't care because I, it doesn't matter to me. In the end, I want us to do what God's called us to do. So whatever you do, keep committing. Every year, if you have to, I probably may suggest this, John. I don't think you ought to do this if you can keep it straight. But at some point, 
Just keep saying, God, this is your building. Whatever you want to do, I don't care as long as it's being used for your purpose. I was in a meeting with a church the other day, and uh, it was so funny because they're, you know what their big fight was about? Whether to have coffee in the auditorium. I, I mean, it was a lot of energy. Uh, 30 minutes. And I understood it because you had some saying, well, we shouldn't have coffee in the auditorium because it's the sanctuary. This we're, we don't need to be, we need to be focusing on God. And I was saying, well, there's something about having coffee in your hand that most people were relaxed. And then you had somebody, you know, you had the engineer going, well, we, you know, if they spill the coffee, then we have to clean it up. And then we're spending more money. Are we being good stewards? And it went round and round and round about coffee in the auditorium. Now, I understand it. I pastored for nearly 30 years. And so I've been in a lot of those meetings. But what was interesting was as the guest from the outside, and this is why I get paid to ask these questions. I finally said, what's the purpose of the service? Let me just ask you this question. What's the purpose of the service? What do you mean? And bottom line, it was, there, this was their answer, to have church. And, well, brother, what do you mean, and? We're having church. I go, well, what's the purpose of your services? Why are you having services? They could, and I finally had them to get them to understand, are you having church services because you're trying to build people who are glorifying God? Are you trying to have church services to invite people that are on the outside? Are you trying to, what is the purpose of your service? It had been so long since they talked about that. They didn't even know why they existed, but they could spend an hour arguing about coffee. Now that is tragic. To me, that's wasted energy. And so here's what I, here's what I finally told them. I said, Tell people you'd prefer they didn't drink in the auditorium and then don't get mad at them when they do. Just, can we get on to the next topic? And let's just trust God with this. It was such an interesting thing. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to forget the purpose. Remember why you're here. To know God, to glorify Him, to reach those on the outside. And if you can do that, going into this building is going to be a joyous time, a wonderful time. March into it. March around it. Claim it. Pray for it. Before you move in, let's do a bunch of cool things around it. But remember, Sabbath was not, uh, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. So also, that, that building was made to serve God through us, not that we serve it. So be free from it. Enjoy it. Own it. Take care of it. Be responsible. Let it be a point of, of, of joy and grace. But always remember your purpose. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to ask you to pray three quick prayers before we dismiss. Would you real quickly just pray this prayer? Father, help me to see how you're molding me. Just pray that prayer. Point one. Remember we talked about that, that Jesus would... God, how are you molding me? What are some situations that you're doing to mold me right now? Those things that are tense to you, those things that are messing you up, would you just back up and say, God, what are you doing in me? At work, at home, at church? Help me to see it from your perspective. Second one, are you tense with anyone at Bellwether? Because if you are, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, would you be willing over the next four weeks or less to begin to just speak grace to those people? Here's what I've learned. Most of the time when I'm uptight with somebody, if I'll just start being gracious to them, it goes away. Instead of feeling like I've got to prove my point. So we just start being gracious and start expressing that grace. And then number three, would you say, God, help me to be a part of keeping a focus on your purposes.
Would you stand with me? I was told right before I got up, we're not doing any songs. When you get through, it's done. So we may still beat the Baptists to the restaurants, all right? So that's that you can rejoice in that. We've got to get there before all those Baptists let out. Good Lord, they just clog it up, don't they? Let me pray for you real quick. If you're with somebody you know and you're comfortable to do this, let's grab hands. If not, then, then uh, you can just put your arm around their shoulder or just wink at them and say, yeah, I got you. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the blessing we have to be here as a family, as a spiritual family, to be, in many cases, a natural family. For some of us, we're here as singles or, or maybe we're here by ourselves, and this has become our family. Father, thank you for that. And Lord, I just am jealous today for this church's purity of purpose. God, that we would love you and love each other and love those on the outside in such a pure, dynamic, passionate way that we would never forget your grace on us and your anointing on us, and I thank you for that. Lord, thank you for giving us purpose and vision, and I just speak grace over this body in a fresh way. And we ask you, God, that you would be glorified in and through us today, this week, and we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.